And a hearty welcome to one and all. This is episode 31 of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. For those of you who are joining me on the YouTube channel, if you like the content, don't forget to click like, smash that subscriber bell, or if you're enjoying the audio version of the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or the other platforms, if and only if you like the content, please click like, smash that subscriber bell. So I'm actually going to be talking in part about one of the movies on my wall. That one right there, Dirty Harry, OG Dirty Harry. There were five Dirty Harry films. The first four were successful at the box office. Fifth one, The Deadpool. Eh, it's a good movie. Uh, I would argue that it's the third best out of the five. Second or third best out of the five. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, the audience had kind of moved away from Clint uh, temporarily at that point. But we're not here to just talk about Dirty Harry. We're here to explore an unusual uh, historical quirk. It's amazing how sometimes you see these, what I referred to the other day as brand name movies. But when you see certain movies that never, I shouldn't say never, most people, even film buffs, wouldn't necessarily put together, conflate, and then you find out, holy shit, they were in theaters at the same time? They were released together? Like, who would imagine that Goodfellas and Home Alone were playing in cinemas at the same time on their initial theatrical runs, right? Somebody like me, I know that. But the average person wouldn't say, oh yeah, well, of course they're from the same year and, you know, Joe Pesci in both movies, you know, that kind of thing. But history tells us that Stanley Kubrick's, in my opinion, masterpiece, and one of the greatest films in the history of cinema, A Clockwork Orange, based on uh, Anthony Burgess' novel of the same name, opened in New York. I don't know if it was a matter of like Oscar qualifications, but history tells us it played at least one screen in New York City on December 19th, 1971, which oddly enough was a Sunday. And I don't know that offhand. I looked that up just so you he probably has the calendar memorized. No, no. I looked it up. Dirty Harry opened on December 22nd. It opened three days later. On the surface, you'd be hard-pressed to name two films more different than The Clockwork Orange and Dirty Harry. Kubrick's film is what is now known as dystopian sci-fi. It's a film that takes place some point in the future from when it is when it was made. And it sets us up with a society that is not doing that great. There's a lot of stuff going on that is like, okay, this is bad. This is really bad. This does not stand up to any kind of scrutiny. This is a shit show. What a depressing future we have if, you know, in 1971, if this was the future that was foretold. And people would argue that, yeah, it was more or less correct. Uh, and others would say, Come on. but a clockwork orange, technically, science fiction. There's no spaceships. It's not Blade Runner. It's not another Kubrick film, 2001, A Space Odyssey. But it is science fiction. It deals with concepts and there's postmodern elements that don't exist and hadn't existed in 1971. And Kubrick had a lot of smart people working with him. And if you are watching the film for the first time, first off, you're going to be shocked at some of the shit that he got away with. 
it is not by accident that that movie was not allowed to be screened publicly in England for 20 years. I remember being in 11th grade and somebody making a comment or I read something or saw something on TV. Yeah, they're finally allowing A Clockwork Orange to be shown. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? I had seen the movie on Cinemax. What do you mean it wasn't allowed to be? You know, you're not thinking in terms of censorship when you're 17 and just a normal movie fan. But there's stuff in that movie that will drop your jaw in, in awe that, how the fuck did Cooper get away with this? Similarly, 11 years earlier, you watch Psycho now, 1960? How the hell did Hitchcock get away with that? Great filmmakers have always found a way from Orson Welles forward. Of course, it kind of destroyed Orson Welles' career, but that's a whole other, whole other thing. So, Clockwork Orange, dystopian sci-fi, at heart, it is a movie about a young man named Alex DeLarge and his, eh, he's a terrible person. We can just say it. He's horrendous. He is a criminal. He is a pillager, a rapist, just a disgusting, awful excuse for a human being. He's the main character. That's something you don't see that often and didn't see that often in Hollywood or in films made in England with Hollywood backing. So right away, you're in, you're in different territory. Now, on the other hand, Dirty Harry, my man, Clint, fucking icon, living legend, 93 years old, making a movie with Kiefer Sutherland, Nicholas Hoult, as we speak, juror number two. Clint's character is the hero. That is a straightforward, the first R-rated action thriller that Hollywood ever put out of that time. I know that Bullet with Steve McQueen and it... Dirty Harry was the first one. It's a straightforward action thriller on the surface. You have a serial killer that was supposed to be the Zodiac killer. And in the movie Zodiac, they even have a screening of the original Dirty Harry where uh, Dave Toski, that was the Mark Ruffalo character, is like, we don't know who this fucker is and they're making movies about this shit. Like he's disgusted that Hollywood was taking advantage and trying to, in his mind, he didn't, wasn't interested in the artistic merit of the film. He's like, this is bullshit. Dirty Harry is a seemingly straightforward story about good guys and bad guys. Can Clint, as this kind of tough cop, Harry Callahan, can he stop a serial killer who is just raining terror upon San Francisco? Zodiac. Like, not an accident. This is all very deliberate. But if you poke at both movies, if you go below the surface, and if you really think about it, they're not as different as they would otherwise appear to be. Because both films deal with bureaucracy. They deal with notions of right and wrong. And what Tom Cruise famously said in Night and Day, bad guys, good guys, worse guys. And in Clockwork Orange, Alex is, to use one of his words incorrectly, he's a horror show. But there are other characters in that story that are arguably way worse than him. And it deals, gets into this whole idea of fate versus free will and notions of if you could make somebody not be evil anymore, if you could essentially take away their right to choose to be evil, should we do it? That's what A Clockwork Orange ultimately is about. And as awful as Alex is, he almost becomes a sympathetic figure when we see what the, 
what the state, the government, wants to do. Now, in the case of Dirty Harry, oh, and I should point out, both films, Alex and Harry Callahan as the hero, who is, he is pretty heroic, but he does a lot of stuff. There's a reason why he's called Dirty Harry. He does a lot of stuff where he's a police officer, he's not following the law. He's not following procedure. He is making up the rules as he goes along. Right? Dirty Harry. But Clint's character is the protagonist. He is the hero. And he is an alpha male. He's not presented necessarily as a toxic out. Yeah, he's toxic in the sense that if you, you fuck with him, he's going to hit you over the head with a gun. <laughs> but he's not, he's not a murderer. He is not somebody who is randomly pillaging as Alex is. But they're both alpha males fighting for control of contested space. This is not an accident. We see Clint just the way his character moves through space. He has an air of dominance. Maybe because he's got a 44 Magnum, or maybe it's just the way that the Clint of that era, age 40, 41, carried himself. Alex moves through the narrative with huge chunks of a clockwork orange, like what they used to call a cock of the walk. He's the man, and he knows it. He's got life by the short hairs, and he knows it. And through the course of both stories, each guy, for entirely different reasons, really gets laid low by what happens. In the case of Clint, it's not that he's dealing with governmental corruption. His perception is there are a lot of rules and regulations and laws that are bullshit, quite frankly. And he doesn't, he doesn't understand why it can't be simple. This guy committed, we know he committed how many different murders. We know that he kidnapped this girl. He raped her repeatedly. He cut off a body part. He took out a tooth. He left her in a hole to die. You're telling me that I violated his rights? Fuck you. Don't throw the Constitution at me. You're, you're talking about his rights. The girl that he did that to is already dead. What about her rights? And we're supposed to get angry. We get angry in a clockwork orange a lot. First, we're mad at Alex for the just awful things that we can't believe what he's doing and has done and seems to think is fine and dandy. You know, we got a pain in the gulliver. No problem. But we watched Dirty Harry, and this was a film, although director, the late, great Don Siegel, who also did Invasion of the Body Snatchers, top 10 all-time sci-fi, the original 1956. And I love the Donald Sutherland. You know, Donald, my dad looked a lot like him back then. That famous moment at the end of the movie, great. The original is the, is the best one. Don Siegel, philosophically, would be considered a progressive today. In his mind, he was not making a political film. He spoke about this a lot. He was not intending to make a political film. He kept saying, making a story about an honest cop that's just trying to get the job done however he can, and I'll leave it to everybody else to fight it out. Words to that effect. But he did say, I wasn't trying to put any political smear or stain or anything. He said the same about Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I don't believe him on that. But with Dirty Harry, it's more believable. There are scenes in both movies where we are supposed to get angry. 
regardless of where we sit on a particular issue. There's a famous scene in Dirty Harry where Clint Eastwood, as Harry Callahan, has cornered the Scorpio killer, wink, wink, the, the Zodiac killer, it's supposed to be. He has cornered him. He has him trapped. He wants to know, first off, you already killed how many people? Piece of shit. Where's the girl that we, you said you kidnapped? We believe you. Where is she? I want a lawyer. Tell me where she is. The scene goes into torture. Now, there were some people at the time, in 1971-72, in theaters, who were horrified by what Clint's character was doing. Not that they thought the guy was okay, that what he did was justified, meaning the killer. But, bro, you're, you're a cop. You can't do this. He's wrong, but you can't do this. Then there were people that were cheering Clint on. And the famous film critic, Pauline Kael, wrote about this, that there were people in the theater. She really wasn't a fan of the film. But there were people in the theater, and she found it fascinating that some people were on Team Clint. And again, when we say Team Clint, they were okay with what Clint's character was doing. And then there were people who were turned off to that character because of that. And you're supposed to get angry. You're supposed to be enraged. Either way, both films hit you. You feel it viscerally. You're supposed to. You're supposed to be conflicted. Like, that's the point. Great art and great cinema is supposed to give you different emotions. I talked about Taxi Driver, another film with a protagonist where you want to be with him and then realize, don't think that this is somebody that we should be with. This guy is fucked up. But the movies each progress in such a way where as flawed as the heroes are, and Harry Callahan is flawed, he's not Alex DeLarge. He's not doing any of that kind of stuff. His crimes, his criminality, is that he bends the laws as he sees fit. But he still tries to do it in such a way that he has deniability. So, for example, we see this in the film, where he's following the Scorpio killer. We never get the guy's name, he's just known as Scorpio. He's following him around in the hopes that he will goad the guy into drawing a gun or attacking him or doing something like that, and then out comes the 44 Mac. In A Clockwork Orange, Alex, and I'm sorry if I'm giving some spoilers here, the movie's 52 years old. It is one of the greatest films ever made. It doesn't matter if I give you spoilers. If you haven't seen it, see it. It is an extraordinary motion picture. It is an experience that every film fan should have. And I have to say, I saw it the first time I was 15 on a regular, you know, 16-inch television in the, uh, in the den of the old house where I grew up in Massapequa. Didn't, didn't really didn't get it. It was, it was just a little bit too much. In the same way that I saw the original Blade Runner within a couple of weeks, didn't like that one either. But over time, my estimation of both films rose to the stratosphere to where I would rank them now as maybe the two best science fiction films ever made. Well, they couldn't be more different. Couldn't be more different. But Alex goes through these horrible trials where there's no, I shouldn't say there's no way. See, I'm always applying a certain standard. To me, we know he's horrendous. We know he's disgusting. He's horrible. But he is put through shit that essentially might as well be um, laboratory rats. 
That is how he is treated. He's treated as cat, to quote Alfred Hitchcock. They used to say, you, you feel like, um, do you treat actors, do you consider actors cattle? And he said, no, 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 of course not. I just said they should be treated like cattle. He's treated like cattle in the movie. He is just an object for the state to manipulate. And as that film unfolds, you, you can't help in most cases but feel sympathetic. As awful as he is, you ask yourself, when is the punishment worse than the crimes? And for many people watching that movie, they'll say, he deserves whatever he gets. He's that bad. And other people would say, yes, he should have simply been punished. Whatever the laws were for the crimes that he committed, he should have been prosecuted to the fullest extent, but they should not have done any kind of mind control manipulation, neuro fucking bullshit. Like the movie, what was it, Spiderhead? The one with, um, I believe it was Miles Teller and Chris Hemsworth. A lot of good ideas. It, it went into some similar tech. Movie didn't work. It was supposed to make you like, holy shit. No, didn't work. The Clockwork Orange, as it goes along, as it builds, in an unconventional way, you're starting to see that he's basically just a piece. He's a spoke on the wheel, to quote Al Pacino from Donnie Brasco that he is not somebody who has any autonomy anymore. He has no uh, neuro, physical, emotional, psychological autonomy. He can't even listen to Beethoven's Ninth without throwing up. His beloved Beethoven's Ninth. So the movies are totally different on the surface, but below the surface, they're not that different because both guys are made to question themselves go through this, this shit where everybody is dumping on him, more literally, in A Clockwork Orange. But in Dirty Harry, Clint's character is threatened with prison for breaking this guy's, for, you know, violating this, this murderer, rapist, violating his civil rights. It seems insane, right? Dirty Harry has what appears to be a finite conclusion. Whereas A Clockwork Orange is deliberately open-ended, where it's sort of, again, I won't give this away, but we're led to believe that Alex now is going to play ball. He probably hasn't changed as much as they were hoping, but everybody is probably going to play nice just to keep up appearances. Again, has he become a pawn of the state? Is that always what's going to happen? Is this the best outcome? Is this really criminal justice reform? All of these things, you could have countless hours worth of arguments because the movie gets into everything like that without beating you over the head with it. Now, Dirty Harry, you can argue also, is discussing criminal justice reform without beating you over the head with it in the scene where Clint is stunned to find that, you know, the district attorney could charge you, Inspector. What the fuck? What do you mean he could charge What? You know, I say, oh, that's the law. And Clint's famous retort, oh, the law's crazy. So Dirty Harry does not have, it has an open ending, but not in the same way. Not in the same way of at the end of A Clockwork Orange where our mind is blown because we can't believe what we've just seen. And the end of Dirty Harry is actually a great story, the literal end. But on the surface, level one, like we say in poker, level one. Spoiler alert, Clint doesn't die. Clint achieves his objective at the end of the film. He figures out a way where he can live with himself the consequences of his actions 
and that's it. But the controversy in the actual making of the movie is that the, the script that, that Clint and, uh, and Don Siegel, the great filmmaker, were following called for Clint at the end of the movie after he has been beaten up and down, literally, figuratively, symbolically, metaphorically, and spiritually. His character goes through a whole lot of shit in that film. And as far as we know, he doesn't even have a home. We know he's a widower. His wife died tragically. And he, we never see him at home. As far as we know, he lives and sleeps at police headquarters. He is a broken man who is just doing the best he can. A little bit, you know, Mel Gibson, lethal weapon, not an accident, very similar kind of thing. Although Clint's character is not presented as suicidal, for whatever that's worth. He's a loner who is broken, and all he has is his job. And he is honestly trying to do it as well as he can. The movie in the script was supposed to end. It was supposed to be an open ending. It was supposed to be an ending that was you were, you were you know, going to think about it and have something to, well, what have we got going on here? As opposed to just roll credits. The scripted ending was after the threat has been neutralized with this incredible ordeal. Clint's character was supposed to take his badge out of his wallet, look at it, throw it away, and walk away. And Clint Eastwood did not want to do it. Did not. Was not on board with it. Don, I don't like the idea that I'm quitting. I hate that my character is quitting. He's giving up. The end of the movie, he wins. Why is he quitting? Why is he giving up? Clint, um, it's my opinion that this ending is brilliant as written. It adds layers of complexity. It makes the story about more than a cop versus a killer. It makes it about society at large. It makes us question everything we've seen. If this guy who tried his best to follow the rules got fucked over, almost went to, you know, could have gotten charged with actual real crimes, where not only could his career have been over, he could have gone to prison. We're supposed to be questioning it. It's not supposed to be tied up with a little bow, the kind of ending that, ooh, everybody's happy. Clint just didn't see it, didn't want to do it. Sit down, I don't like it. I, I just, I can't, I can't do it. How about I just look at the badge, put it in my wallet, and walk away? Okay, Clint, okay. This was in Don Siegel's autobiography, by the way, this back and forth. Um, a Siegel film, an autobiography. It came out not long before Siegel passed uh, in 1991. Uh, they worked together five times, Don Siegel and Clint Eastwood. They did uh, Two Mules for Sister Sarah, Dirty Harry, Coogan's uh, Bluff, Play Misty for Me. And then in 1979, Don directed Clint in a terrific, one of his best under-the-radar films and performances, Escape from Alcatraz, a really, really good thriller based on a true story of the only successful escape attempt from Alcatraz. But the two guys fought about the ending of the film and were we going to have this kind of art cinema-ish, closer to a clockwork orange of having a lot more to think about when we leave the theater as opposed to just good guy, kill bad guy, good guy, win. You know, like Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Scorpion wins. Liu Kang wins. Callahan wins. Under normal circumstances, when you have a sequence such as a character using a prop 
and disposing of a prop in such a way where it might not happen on the first couple of takes, you're going to make sure the prop master has a lot of props. The last day of shooting, literally, a lot of the Dirty Harry was shot in sequence. They were all ready to do the final shots of the movie. Uh, actor Andrew Robinson, who played Scorpio, was not present. Like, that was already taken care of. All of that stuff was done. It was just Clint on the set, that last location, this kind of uh, rock quarry, gravel pit, whatever the hell. I don't even know what that's called. Um, but it was just going to be him looking at his badge, putting it back in his pocket, walking away, and then we roll credits, and um, the terrific music was by Lalo Schifrin, who also did Mission Impossible in the background. They're right minutes away. The lighting is getting, getting set. They're trying to film at a certain time of day, and suddenly Clint goes, okay, Don, I'll do it. Do what? I'll, I'll throw the badge away. You're right. I don't know why it took me until now to figure this out, but let's do it. Let's, let, let's risk it. I see your point. Don Siegel kind of puts his head in his hands. He says, you know what, Clint? I love you, and I'm glad you came around. We got one problem. What? We only have the one badge. We got one badge, the badge that you have in your pocket. If I knew there was any chance you were going to change your mind, I would have had another 10, but we've only got one. Going to have all cameras rolling. Better not fuck this up. You got one take to get this badge throw it correct. You know how to do it, just don't screw it up. Otherwise, we've got to come back tomorrow. There's no time to send somebody to get another badge. Let's get this done. So, they shot the ending as it was scripted. Clint, at the end of this movie, with everything that's happened, looks down at his badge, and instead of putting it back into his pocket, he does what was in Dean Reasoner's screenplay. He disgustedly, angrily, pitches it into the water. Walks away alone, kind of like a gunfighter at the end of the movie, the end of a Western, walking off into the sunset. Roll credits. So instead of a straightforward action film, thriller, narrative, ending with the hero triumphing, now you've got all kinds of shit to think about. Well, he got the bad guy, but his toss of the badge, it seems like he's admitting that society has defeated him, isn't it? Oh yeah, that's how I take it, that Clint's character essentially loses. He is beaten at the end of the film. Even if on the surface he emerged victorious, it's a pyrrhic victory because society has no use for him, clearly. He understands that, and that's why he throws his badge away. There's no place for him in. Now, Clint and other people have joked that, well, he probably had some, some gooey, like, stick him on his hand, and as soon as the film ended and the credits rolled, that badge just kind of jumped out of the water and went right back into his pocket because they did make four more Dirty Harry films. But it adds the complexity that the film otherwise would lack. And to me, it is one of the reasons why this movie is a great film. Not just an entertaining action movie about a cop and a killer, but a movie with much broader implications as far as society and questions of police power and conduct, the rights of the accused, the rights of the guilty, 
and the rights of the victims. All of this stuff exists in this movie. All of this stuff exists in Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange, even though it is pitched at a different angle and it's hitting a different audience because it's, let's face it, even today, if somebody's like, hey, I want to see a Clint Eastwood movie, did he make any science fiction films? Firefox, all right, let's watch Firefox. That person might want to watch A Clockwork Orange. But if somebody says, I want to watch a science fiction film, they're not going to watch Dirk Cat. With that being said, the films have these parallels. The main characters are not as different as they would seem on the surface. And with that, with all of that, that brings to a close episode 31 of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. really hope that you've enjoyed this pretty serious deep dive into two of my all-time favorite films, two of the GOAT movies, two of the greats. Hollywood's first true R-rated action thriller in Dirty Harry and one of the, easily one of the greatest science fiction films ever made, A Clockwork Orange. And if you are watching the uh, YouTube version of today's podcast, don't forget to click like, smash the subscriber bell, or if you're listening to the audio version on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, or Amazon Music, please, if you enjoy, and only if you enjoy, click like and subscribe. I'll be back with episode 32 real, real soon. Take care.